there's a difference between do-it-yourself and do-it-for-a-living. At The Home Depot, we get that. And we're here to help pros get the job done with the products and brands you trust. Technology to keep your job on track. Job site delivery to save you time. And bulk pricing on over 4,000 items every day to save you money. When you've got a job, we're on the job. The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. This week, something spooky this way comes. A chill wind is rising in the east, isn't it? Pricking at the back of your neck. The pine cones rattle in the trees. There is salt in the wind. And ice, too. Ah, yes, you know what I'm talking about. It's not just autumn now, it's something better. Darker. It's getting on towards Halloween. Yes, light the fire. You can't outrun it. This is Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. Greetings from the road! Well, technically greetings from my childhood bedroom. Jillian and I are about two-thirds of the way to our new home in D.C., but I would be remiss if I did not begin to celebrate what my buddy Clint of the podcast Alcoholywood calls Horror Octorbor. For as many of you know, despite my penchant for play acting as being a spoopy boy, I am very, very resistant to horror. But this month, we're doing a thing that Will and Matt are calling David Learns the True Meaning of Halloween. And so, in that spirit, I am doing some, um... Exposure therapy. So what we're going to do in the countdown to Halloween and the yearly spoopy time horror audio marathon known as 11th Hour is a slow ratcheting up of horror. From initially atmospheric and delicately intimately haunting stuff to what I assume will be gut-wrenching pants-wetting terror. This week we're more on the intimately haunting side of the spectrum. Palimpsest is a podcast produced out of Asheville, North Carolina, by Jameson Ridenour and Haley Henninger. It's a single voicer, and the frame narrative is that Henninger's character, Annalise, is recording diary entries for her therapist, who's moved away, so she can move past the death of her sister, Claire. But that premise becomes swiftly complicated, and it might be useful at this point to explain what a palimpsest is. Annalise describes it in episode 3 as layers upon layers, like a canvas with a landscape on it that's had a portrait painted atop it. I think of it as something a little bit more sinister, a piece of parchment, that is to say paper made from animal skin, that has been washed and scraped clean, so that the inks written into it fade enough so that you can write upon it again. But the old text remains, the old landscape remains, and the mountain shows through in the face, and the ghost story shows through in the love story. This podcast is weird and angular and spare, with great music, writing, and performance, and remember that it is, above all else, a performance. As you listen, ask yourself who it is exactly that Annalise is performing for. So for now, enjoy the first two episodes of Palimpsest. Hi, it's me, Annalise. Uh, okay, I already feel stupid. Here I am, sitting at my kitchen table, talking into my cell phone. I mean, I know people talk to phones, that's what phones do, but 
Usually somebody's on the other end. I I'm not saying that you're not somebody. I just don't know if you're ever going to... You know what I mean. Anyway, I, I feel stupid. You know, I'm not even sure if this thing is recording. The little red light is on, but it's not flashing. Shouldn't it be flashing or should it just be on steady? Uh, maybe flashing means paused. Why can't I ever remember? Okay, I don't know if I've got this microphone thing hooked up right. Let me just stop and play this back. Okay, great. Red light means recording. Flashing means paused. Got it. <sighs> Let's try this again. Palimpsest, created by Jameson Ridenour and Haley Hininger. It's me, Annalise. I'm dictating these notes sitting here at my kitchen table, surrounded by boxes, watching dust float and shimmer in sunlight that's slanting through my window. This table is the same one that I sat at last time I tried to do this, but this time it's in a new apartment. I moved in Saturday. <laughs> Today's Monday. Leah, Scott, and Bailey helped me get all my stuff out of the other place Saturday morning, and we got it all across town in Scott's pickup and Leah's hatchback. <sighs> so nothing's unpacked, everything's still covered in dust, and the place is basically in shambles right now. But I love it. I really, really love it. The windows are old glass. You know how old glass is kind of wavy? My kitchen windows are just like that, like funhouse mirrors. So the light comes through them kind of shaky, you know, like it's not sure it should be there. <laughs> kind of relatable. I can see the world out there. Well, I can see the gravel parking lot by the house, but it's shaky too, and it changes when I move my head. It's sort of rippling, like a mirage in the desert, like it's not really real. You know, it's one of the things I really love about this apartment. It's almost like a dream. But seriously, I love everything about this apartment. I wish you could see it. It reminds me of those old buildings in the neighborhood where you used to work. But this place is a ways out from downtown. The building is called the Hawthorne House, and it really is that, a house. It's a big old gray house that's been divided into four apartments, two up and two down. I'm in the bottom right as you face the door. There's a big covered porch and a huge yard with big old trees in it. And there's also a garage apartment, this tiny detached house with steps leading up to it off of the parking lot. I don't know if anybody lives there or not. It's really cute. I can see it from the kitchen window. There's a rug or something hanging over the railing and some Buddhist prayer flags over the door. So probably somebody lives there. I haven't met them yet, though. What was that? Uh, oh man, sorry. I thought I saw somebody disappear on the corner of the house. I 
because it just freaked me out. Geez, Annalise, jumpy much? It was out of the corner of my eye, and like I said, it's all wavy and shaky out there. <laughs> oh, okay. It sounds like somebody's kid. I can hear them laughing from the backyard. Maybe Buddhist yoga people have a kid? I don't know, I thought everybody living in the house was single. But now that I think about it, I don't know why I thought that. Well, as long as nobody's running around overhead or messing with my stuff, we're cool. And you know, there's something nice about kids playing in the yard. But anyway, my apartment. It is so cute. Okay, can I give you a quick tour? Imagine a big oak door. That's the first cool thing, that big door. It's solid and heavy and, I don't know, grown up. You know, you'd think at 26, I wouldn't be thinking things like that, but that's what it feels like, a grown up door. The door opens onto a big living room. High ceilings, crown molding, the whole deal. Windows on two sides, looking out onto the porch and the parking lot. There's a little fireplace, but it doesn't really look like it works. I don't know, I need to poke around and see what it looks like up in there. But then, there's an arched doorway leading to the kitchen. It's small, like really small, but it's got all the kitchen stuff you'd want. Stove, oven, refrigerator, teeny tiny pantry with a folding door, and the table. There's no dining room, so my little glass top table from the old apartment is all I have room for. Which is fine, because Reese kept the big table. Okay, we're not talking about Reese. Wow. I'm rambling. I knew I'd ramble. That's why you told me to do this, right? Because I avoid talking about it. Because I don't want to remember. That's what you say, anyway. That I don't want to remember Claire. Or at least, that I don't want to remember what happened to Claire. But I don't think you're right, as I've told you before. Of course I remember Claire. Sometimes remembering Claire feels like the only thing I ever do. But you are right about one thing. I do think writing it down will help. So I'm trying this again. But I haven't finished the tour. <laughs> Moving towards the back of the house from the kitchen, there's a short hallway with a bathroom off to the right and an empty room to the left that the realtor called a bonus room. It's really a smaller second bedroom, I guess. Right now, I've got all my books in there, in boxes, and a bunch of clothes that I should probably get to Goodwill. I may set up a studio in there and start painting again. Only, it doesn't really get any light. It's on the interior wall, so no windows. There's a door to the basement in there, too. All of the tenants are allowed to use the basement for storage, but apparently I'm the only apartment with actual access. I only went down there for a minute. It's a dingy little place with a dirt floor and what appears to be a cobweb ceiling. I can barely stand up in it, and I don't really foresee spending a lot of quality time there. And then at the end of the little hallway is my bedroom. It just barely has enough room for a double bed and a nightstand. My dresser fits in the closet with not much room for anything else. 
but it's got windows on two sides, just like the living room. One looking out over the parking lot and then another on the backyard. I haven't checked out that backyard yet. It's got a fence and some trees, but that's about all I know. But have I said I loved it yet? It's got hardwood floors throughout. They creak when I walk on them. And if you run in your socks, you could stop and slide really far. Not that I've done that, but I bet you could. I still have to get some furniture. I brought some stuff from Reese's place, but I left some stuff too. I've saved up a little money over the past year and I'm gonna go to the thrift store this week and finally look for a sofa and a bed frame. I'm currently sleeping on a mattress and it feels like college. I guess that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's time for a real bed. Anyway, Leah said she'd go with me. We're gonna make a day of it. Maybe get out for a little hike or try a new restaurant. I'm still rambling. I know this, but I just thought you might like to know that I've got some friends and that I have a new place. And look, I know you don't need me to say that you were right about Reese, but you were right about Reese. You'd really be proud about how it changed my situation just like you always said that I could. Look, I know the whole purpose of this is to talk about Claire, or to talk about how I feel about Claire, or to talk about Claire being the central trauma of my life. And I know I just said that all I do is remember Claire, but the truth is, I don't really think about Claire day to day, not like all day, every day anyway. And, you'll be happy to hear, Claire doesn't talk to me anymore. I know she can't, so I hope you're not still worried about that. I know Claire is dead. I know when she died, and I know how she died. And I know why I had to start talking to you about it. Although, doesn't it seem a little ironic? The way to stop obsessing over my dead sister is to talk obsessively about my dead sister. Now, right here is where you would ask me something like, so Annalise, if everything is going well and you're no longer fixating on Claire, why have you suddenly started recording these tapes again? I don't know if it's more irritating that I have to imagine your side of the conversation or that it's so easy to know what you would say. You just love words like fixated. I don't really know what to tell you. I like the idea of writing it all down. And so maybe that's what this is. Notes for a memoir. I don't know, I just find myself thinking about it more since I broke up with Reese. Maybe because there's no one here to fill a space? All right, here's a memory for you. Claire's favorite game when we were growing up was called Mirrors. We both loved the Marx Brothers, and the game started out with us trying to learn the whole mirror scene from Duck Soup. Do you know that scene? Groucho thinks he's in front of a mirror, but it's actually Harpo dressed up like him. Groucho tries and tries more outlandish moves to trip Harpo up, but Harpo always matches him, never misses a beat. Claire and I tried to do that. <laughs> it was easier for Groucho and Harpo because it was scripted, or what would you call it, choreographed. 
and Claire being two years older meant we weren't really matched up height-wise. But I've always been tall for my age, and as we got older, it worked out better. <laughs> we got really good at it, and we played constantly. I'd catch Claire's eye across the room, and we'd begin matching move for move. When we were in the zone, it was like we knew what the other one was going to do, no matter how crazy or unexpected. One time, we did a full dance routine in unison, move for move, completely spontaneous. It drove mom nuts, and Jackson just hated it. In his annoying little brother way, he just couldn't stand being left out. He was always trying to play mirrors with one of us, but the truth is, he sucked. Okay, maybe that's not fair. It's just, I don't know, he, he couldn't get inside my head like Claire could. Even after Claire got sick, we'd still play mirror. Laying in the hospital bed, raising one arm, and then the other. One of the last times I saw her smile was playing mirror in the hospital room. My whole junior year of high school was in that hospital, or at least that's what it felt like. So, you know, little moments like that, Claire smiling when we played mirror, they stand out. So, you know, maybe that's part of it. Now, when I raise my hand, no one copies me. I'm just dancing solo. My mirror has been empty since Claire died. Uh, okay, wow. Morbid and not true. I've got friends. I have a job and a life and this awesome new apartment. And right now, the sun is shining through the awesome wavy glass in my kitchen, and there's a little boy laughing in the backyard. Or, or there was. He seems to have wandered away. Anyway, I have very little to complain about. Oh, here's something fun. Leah was saying... Oh, shit. Somebody's at the door. Hold that thought. Sorry about that. That was my upstairs neighbor, Bree. She wanted to leave her bike on the wall next to my door and was just making sure that it was okay. She seems nice. She looks closer to my age than Mrs. Aikman across the hall or Mr. Blackwood on the other side upstairs. She's got really impressive dreadlocks. She helped Leah and me carry the mattress in on Saturday, though she probably could have just done it herself. She told me it was nice to finally have somebody move in downstairs. I get the impression that Mrs. Aikman, who lives across the hall from me, just keeps to herself. She just looks kind of sour and grumpy, and her dog hates me. Maybe it hates everybody, but it's a big Dalmatian, just a really pissy disposition. But Bree seems really cool. I think I'm gonna invite her down for coffee or something once I've got things settled. Maybe that'll give me an incentive to unpack sooner than later. See, look, I'm putting myself out there. And, oh yeah, what I was about to say when the doorbell interrupted me. Leah is throwing me a housewarming party next week. I think I'm gonna invite some folks from the bakery. Bailey, Scott. You know, it's been really nice getting to know Leah again over the past year. We weren't really close in college, but she's been so sweet to me since I moved here. The, the city, I mean, not this apartment, obviously. It's really touching that she wants to throw me a party. Maybe I'll invite Brie too. 
So just look at me being social. I've come a long way, right? Now I'm standing in the living room, looking through the front window. It looks out over the porch and into the yard. It's a huge yard, and there's this old oak tree on the left about halfway between the house and the road, so, I don't know, like 50 feet? It's so nice. Tranquil, you know? I think I could really be happy here. Shit! Uh, the, the, the bedroom door just slammed. I, I've got the window cracked in here, and the wind must have pulled it shut. I really am jumpy. I guess the house is kind of drafty, but that's what old houses do, right? Hey, there's that kid again. Oh, it's a little boy. He's, he's peeking around the oak tree in the front yard. Not peeking at me, just like playing hide-and-seek or something. I don't see any other kids out there. Maybe he's a neighbor? He's really cute. <laughs> I hear all of the questions you would ask, and I know that I should answer them. I know I need to talk about Claire, and I suppose it would help to process what happened with Reese, although it's boring and painfully predictable, just like Reese. I promise I'll tell you everything. But right now, all I want to do is drink my coffee and look out my new old windows before I have to be at work at two. It's going to be good here. I can feel it. Malobsessed was written and produced by Jameson Ridenour. The voice of Annalise is Haley Hininger. Our music was written and performed by Ian Ridenour, and our graphic design is by Megan Lee. You can find us online at thepalimpsestpodcast.com. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or just tell a friend. It really does help. Thanks for listening. Here's a memory. When we were 14 and 16, so what was that, 2005? Claire snuck me into my first nightclub. We weren't going there to drink or party. We both loved Rilo Kylie, and they were playing at this place in the next town over. Like most of the crazier things I did as a teenager, it was totally Claire's idea. I really wanted to see them, but our parents said, no, not on a school night. So, for me, that would have been it. I was pissed, but what can you do? But then, Claire was in my room that night, right after bedtime. And she said, Get up, Lise. We're going to see Rilo Kylie." And he didn't argue with Claire. I mean, I was terrified of getting caught, 
but I got up, and when Claire climbed out that window, I followed her. We hitched to the club, which was not the smartest thing I've ever done. Luckily, the woman who picked us up was nice. She lectured us on why I shouldn't be taking rides from strangers. When we got to the place, it was really sketchy, and the guy at the door gave us one look and told us to get lost. Once again, I figured that was it. But then Claire was like, Lise, we've come all the way out here. No way you are gonna miss this show. And she took my hand and led me around to the side of the club to an exit door in an alley. We waited until somebody came out and then Claire caught the door and held it for me. The band had already started, so it was loud and dark in there and I could almost feel the sweat that was gonna drench me once I walked into that crowd. I remember Claire grinning at me, and all I had to do was step in, and I almost made it. But we got caught, or I got caught. There was a bouncer just inside the door, and he grabbed me before I could take two steps. Of course, he didn't even see Claire. I know you don't believe me. You never did when I told these stories, but it's true. He didn't see Claire at all. So when they called the cops and the cops called our parents, it was just me who got in trouble. Claire was always so lucky like that. Huh, well, her luck ran out eventually, I guess, since I'm still here and she's 10 years dead. Sorry, that's not the kind of thing I'm supposed to be saying here, is it? These are just memories. And even though I was grounded for a whole month for that one, it's a fun memory. Because I know she did that for me. She would do anything for me. No one ever loved me like Claire. I still miss her so much. Palimpsest, created by Jameson Ridenour and Haley Hininger. So two weird things have happened in the week since I moved in. I don't really think of myself as easily creeped out, but listen to this. I was unpacking books, which is a chore for me. I had like eight or 10 boxes of books and I didn't have space for all of them when I first moved in. But then I got some new bookshelves, well, old bookshelves from Goodwill, but new to me. So Wednesday night, I sat down with a box cutter and started opening the boxes. I started packing almost a month before I moved out of Reese's place, and I started with the books, so it had been a little while. I had forgotten what was packed where, so each box was like a little surprise, a held breath that I could release by slicing the packing tape. Little exhalations of dust. It was like Christmas, or like seeing old friends again after a long separation. What I'm trying to say is that I lost myself. 
I cut open boxes and pulled out books and flipped through pages and breathed in that old book smell, and I completely lost track of time. So when I heard the noise and looked at my cell phone, I was shocked to see that it was after 10. And then I got a little freaked out about the noise because it was late. It sounded like somebody was dragging something in the hallway outside my front door. My door opens out into a wide hallway, like a foyer. Across the hall from me is an identical door which leads to Mrs. Aikman's apartment, which I assume is a mirror image of mine. And then at the back of the foyer are stairs up to the other apartments. Anyway, it sounded like something was being dragged across the hardwood floor of the foyer. Something heavy and soft. It happened in long bursts with pauses between, like whoever was dragging it had to stop between poles to rest or get a better grip. I stood up and dusted off my pants and stepped over the circle of books I was in and went to the front door. I still had the box cutter in my hand, just in case. I listened at the door and for a minute there was nothing, just that deep late night silence. But then I heard it again, right outside the door. <laughs> I swear, I almost screamed. It freaked the shit out of me. I, so I looked through the peephole, but I couldn't see anything. It's a crappy peephole. I mean, unless somebody's standing squarely in front of it with a bright light on their face, it's pretty much useless. I was standing there trying to decide what to do when I heard Mrs. Aikman coming in with her Dalmatian through the front door of the house. I heard her telling him to hurry up and I heard the dogs panting and its nails clicking on the hardwood. So I opened the door. When I did, the dog flipped out and jumped at me, barking and growling. I did scream then, though I caught myself as quick as I could. Mrs. Aikman pulled the dog up short by its chain. She was wearing an old-fashioned housecoat over her usual floral dress and some crazy big rubber boots, even though it wasn't raining or anything. I can't tell if she's really old or if she's just frowned her face into those deep lines over the years, like erosion. She wrestled the dog a little, saying, down Baskerville, down, and finally shoving him through the open door of her apartment. I'm sorry, I said. I didn't mean to scare the dog. Though, honestly, I didn't care. He's a horrible animal, so loud and aggressive. At first, I thought it was just me he didn't like, but now I think he's just a shitty dog. He's not scared, she said. Mrs. Aikman always sounds like you've just contradicted her. She's always on the edge of exasperation. He thought you were going to hurt me. He's protective. Yes, ma'am, I said. Who knows why? That's what you say to old women. Why aren't you in bed, she said. And that should have pissed me off. I'm a grown woman. I don't have a bedtime. I should have said that, but I was still thinking about the sound that I heard. I thought someone was in the foyer, I said but now I wasn't so sure. No one else was in the foyer and there wasn't anything that could have made that noise. There wasn't anything at all except Bree's bike leaning against the wall at the bottom of the stairs. Someone is, she snapped. I'm in the foyer. 
No, before that, I started to say, but she interrupted me. Go to bed, she said. It's late. And she slammed the door at me across the hall. So that was fun. She really makes me uncomfortable. I don't know why she makes me so anxious. Every time I get this pain, like my rib cage is going to burst open or like I've been punched really hard in the chest. Every interaction with Mrs. Aikman is like that. She's a peach, but she's the only negative in this building, really. I've actually gone and had coffee with one of my neighbors. <laughs> I know, right? It's like I'm turning into a party girl. Actually, it wasn't really a big deal. The girl in the apartment above me, Bree, was out on the porch when I got back from the grocery store yesterday. She does pottery, and sometimes she paints pieces and sets them on the porch to dry. Anyway, she helped me carry the groceries in, and I asked her if she wanted some coffee. Just asked her, you know, like a normal person who talks to people. <laughs> and she said yes, and I made coffee, and we sat on the front porch and talked and drank coffee. I know that sounds like such a basic nothing thing. I mean, it was maybe 20 minutes, including making the coffee. But it felt like a big deal. You know, it's, it's been a long time since I really talked to anybody but Reese or you. And now you're gone. Still a little pissed about that. And I'm certainly not talking to Reese, so... This was easier when I had Claire. She was always there to listen whenever I had problems at school, or a crush on a boy, or if I just felt down. I remember lying in my bed at home, worried about whatever, and Claire would come in and sit next to me and listen. She'd listen just enough that I got it off my chest and then would give me the perfect advice. Felt that way, anyway. That's another good memory. Claire and I whispering in the dark, afraid if mom would hear us. Even that last long year in the hospital, there were late night whisper talks, giving me advice and encouraging me, even in that white hospital bed. Like she was trying to get it all in because she knew. Anyway, uh, Bree's really cool. She asked about my job, which I told her about, and my family, which I dodged with vague stuff about them being a hundred miles away. I didn't mention Claire because I just don't want to do the whole story and hear her say how sorry she is or whatever. People look at you differently, you know? She told me a little about the other upstairs neighbor, Mr. Blackwood. He's divorced, mid-fifties, which is what I would have guessed. Keeps to himself. He seems kind of sad. Not creepy, the way single, middle-aged guys can be. Bree sort of confirmed that. He's a loner, but he seems harmless. She also told me that there is somebody living in that little detached apartment off the parking area. She's a yoga instructor, lives alone. Brie told me her name, but now I've forgotten it. So, anyway, we are all singles here. Me, Brie, Yoga Lady, Mr. Blackwood, and Mrs. Aikman. Oh, right, Mrs. Aikman. I was telling you about two weird things. Sorry, I'm sort of scattered today. 
The whole point was that I don't think I would have even really remembered that sound in the hallway if something else hadn't happened the next night. I was in bed. Oh yeah, I got a bed. Leah helped me pick it up out at the thrift store downtown. It's just a basic frame, but it has this really cool headboard, heavy and solid wood. It looks like mahogany maybe, but it's probably not. It's really pretty though. Anyway, I'm up off the floor now, just like a grown-up. So, okay, I'm lying in bed. This was Thursday night, about 11.30, and I was wide awake. Sometimes I just can't get to sleep. We've talked about it before, you probably remember. It had gotten a lot better when I was with Reese, but since all that happened, well, I was lying there, wide awake. And that matters because I was not in that weird in-between place. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you can't really tell if you're dreaming or not. I was completely awake, running through the next day's to-do list, second-guessing conversations from work, wondering if I'd be alone forever my entire life. You know, the usual. That was a joke. I can see you shaking your head and frowning. Anyway. I'm lying there, under the covers, and something jumped on the end of my bed. It was very distinct, not a vague impression or a maybe. We had cats when I was growing up, and they would jump on the bed in the middle of the night. That's what it felt like, like a cat. Something smallish and relatively light, but not so light that it didn't make an impact. I was lying on my side, and I felt the thing hit the bed behind me about halfway up my calf. It pulled the covers towards it when it landed. I was sure it was a rat. I had seen some droppings in the spare bedroom, and I was worried that there were rats in the basement. So of course, I did the reasonable thing and screamed and jumped out of bed. But there was nothing there. I turned on the light and looked under the bed. I ended up taking off all the covers and shaking them out, and I couldn't find anything. Nothing at all. Come on, isn't that creepy? It probably was a rat, and it probably freaked out as much as I did and ran under the dresser or something before I got to the light switch. I know that, but right then, I was absolutely terrified. I'm gonna go pick up some traps today. Uh, actually, I should get going. I finished my coffee a while ago. I've got to straighten up. The unpacking is almost done, and Leah's throwing me at that housewarming party tomorrow. And then I've got work at too. Look, I know I'm not really doing what I'm supposed to be doing. With this recording, I mean. I know this is to talk about my own issues, about Claire, and about after. And I'm getting there. I promise. I felt like I lost a lot of ground over the last couple of months. To say Reese was not supportive is an understatement. Towards the end, he would say things, really horrible things, like, but I know I'm not crazy. I'm a survivor, right? I can do this. I remember how you showed me. Thanks for listening. I wish you hadn't moved away, but it is more comfortable talking to you here from my living room than in your office. 
No offense, but here I can look out the wavy glass of my big window. It's a beautiful day. Blue skies and a slight breeze in the big oak tree outside. That little neighbor boy is playing in the yard again. He really is cute. White t-shirt, blue jeans, sort of Dennis the Menace. He's swinging from the low branch on that tree. He doesn't live here. I asked Bree and she said she didn't know anything about him. He doesn't bother me. It's actually sort of sweet to see him out there running around. But he seems lonely. I wonder why he's never with friends. God, it sucks to be a lonely kid. I was lucky to have Claire. Oh, he just ran around the side of the house. Such a happy little guy. I should introduce myself. Uh, okay, enough talking. I really need to get off my butt and get going. Talk to you soon. Palimpsest was written and produced by Jameson Ridenour. The voice of Annalise is Haley Hininger. Our music was written and performed by Ian Ridenour, and our graphic design is by Megan Lee. You can find us online at thepalimpsestpodcast.com. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or just tell a friend. It really does help. Thanks for listening. As the first season continues past this point, the story grows knotty and tangly and strange. Take nothing for granted. In fact, I'm just going to say it straight up. I don't trust Annalise. If you want to hear more of this strange, quiet, haunting podcast, check out their website, thepalimpsestpodcast.com. That's T-H-E-P-A-L-I-M-P-S-E-S-T podcast.com. Hey fam, I've got to get back on that road, that swirling nightmare of asphalt, that twining ribbon of roadkill, that long black trail of ink that will deliver me and Jillian straight unto our nation's capital city, a city which, despite its loudest and worst resident, I am determined to love. So I will see you next Halloween. By which I mean, next week. And now, the credits. Our theme music is Danger Digidoo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreaux. Our interviews producer is Eli McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreaux. Our social media manager is James Oliva. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouch. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. How dare you interrupt my monologue, you... My poetics. Jillian, don't you know better than to interrupt me while I'm acting? My craft. How dare you. Mm -hmm.
When it comes to their kids, dads don't have favorites. When it comes to their tools, they do. And the Home Depot has every one of them. Top brands like Makita and DeWalt. Exclusive brands like Ryobi, Husky, and Rigid. Even Milwaukee. With an M12 12-volt 5-tool kit, now just $199. Today is the day for doing. And for dad. With the best selection of his favorite tools only at the Home Depot. More saving. More doing. Offer valid through June 19th while supplies last. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium and lead gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease.